scripture reading for this morning is going to come from Exodus. It's going to be chapter 12, verses 29 through chapter 13, verses 16. And you can find that on page 64 of the Black Pew Bible. There should be one in front of you. Again, that's Exodus chapter 12, verses 29 through chapter 13, verses 16. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given, them, had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked for. Thus they plundered the Egyptians, and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait. For they prepared in any provision, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching, of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it, It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as the native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be no one law for the native and no one for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. And no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on the day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, 
and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute as it is appointed time from year to year. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all the first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or you will not redeem it, or you will redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand, or frontless between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. A lot going on. These got Bible school and then promotion Sunday and a lot going on. We got Niku coming in town in a couple weeks. A lot going on. We're excited. Excited about the fall. We, we talk a lot about Beaver Kids. Some of you are like, what is Beaver Kids? It's like a kids program. And it is a kids program, but it's actually a program for everybody. And we, as you know, on Wednesday nights, we kind of took, we take a break in July and part of August just to let our children's workers, all the teachers, just kind of take a break and kind of get their second win, get ready for the fall. And as kids get back in school, we'll start back beaver kids on the 25th of august and on the 18th we're going to have a a teacher training all the teachers will get together and um spend some prayer time and talk about the semester but on the 25th we'll start beaver kids and what that means is we'll eat together from six o'clock we'll start feeding the children and at 6 20 the children and the students will dismiss and go to their classes and then the adults will eat and we eat what's called a missions meal we have ladies that prepare a home-cooked meal and it's for the children we feed them for it's free but for the adults it's five dollars a plate and what we do is we take that money that we make off the meal and uh, we give towards missions and so we have several NICU and several of our brothers and sisters in China that we support through that so on the 25th we'll be doing that and then the adults at 7 o'clock will dismiss and, and go to classes. And we're having an open Bible study like we always do. Um, we'll be looking at taking a spiritual inventory or physical, if you will, um, of our lives. We'll be doing that in open Bible study. But we also are going to be doing evangelism training for those of you that want to participate in that. It's 14 weeks. You'll learn how to share the gospel. You'll practice how to share the gospel. And you'll be equipped better to share your faith and the gospel and of course everyone needs to hear that so that's what's coming uh, this fall so we're excited about that turn your bibles to exodus chapter 12 we are walking through the book of exodus verse by verse after being in bondage In Egypt for 430 years, God hears the cries of his people and he delivers the Israelites from the hand of Pharaoh. 
the mighty hand of Pharaoh, we see dwarfed by the mightier hand of God. There's been a battle raging for months and months and months. We're not sure how long the plagues, these ten plagues took for all of them to take place. We're not sure. We're not told in Scripture, but we know how to be months have passed. And there's a battle going on. God had sent Moses from the desert where he was taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. He's going back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh in Egypt where he grew up and God has given him the task of being his prophet and he is to tell Pharaoh to let God's people go and Pharaoh is the world's most powerful man of course Pharaoh refused he refused to let his his labor force leave and so God has sent plague after plague judgment after judgment upon Pharaoh and the people of Egypt and with each judgment the perception of the Egyptians had a Pharaoh began to change. He became less and less impressive as Moses' status among the Egyptians grew. And we see a spiritual law taking place. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we see that in Moses' life as he humbles himself. The result was God exalted him among the Egyptians and by the end of the ninth plague, chapter 11, verse 3, says, The man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. And so as Pharaoh is weakened, Moses and his status is strengthened. But this battle that we see is not Pharaoh pitted against Moses, but it's Pharaoh pitted against Almighty God. And Pharaoh, after the tenth plague, the plague of the death of the firstborn son, Pharaoh has just cried mercy. He's just cried uncle. He's thrown in the towel as the firstborn in Egypt has been slain. And, and as Pharaoh's defeated, you know, some, some of you may follow boxing, and sometimes in boxing, it's a really close fight. You're not sure who's going to win, and, you know, the referee's there, and he gives the announcement, and both fighters are standing there, and they're, they're not sure sometimes whose hand's going to be raised because the fight is so close, and sometimes it's really, really subjective, and sometimes a fight will be called, and someone will be given the decision, and you're like, eh, I don't really agree with that. I think that was, a, that was terrible judging. But that's not the case here. Pharaoh is flat on his back, TKO'd, and the white towel, after a white towel has been thrown into the ring. Pharaoh's out, and God is the victor. Three things we learned from our text that Jake read for us. He read our teaching text this morning. The first thing is that God's heavy hand breaks the will of hard-hearted Pharaoh as the Hebrews are freed. And we see that verse 29 through 32. And it seems, you know, as we read through this account, there's times where Pharaoh is, is God has commanded Moses to, to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. There's times where Pharaoh's kind of weakened and it seems like he's kind of give, give in, he gives in a little bit. And, and Moses says, we want to go and, and take a three days journey and we want to worship. And so the fourth plague occurs and we see Israel, the Israelites can go. Pharaoh says, you can go, but you must stay in the land. You can't leave Egypt. And then at, 
The seventh plague, the plague of the locust, right before that plague, Pharaoh says, well, you can go, you can go where you want to go, but just the men, you got to leave the women and the children behind. So we see at, at times Pharaoh begins to, to weaken. But here in chapter 12, verse 31 and 32, let's read that again together. After, this is after the, the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh's first, firstborn son has just died in the night. And he summons Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. In other words, you go, take the men, take the women, and take the kids with you. Everybody go. And not only that, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. So here there's no restrictions. Pharaoh's been defeated and he says, go, everybody go. Men, women, kids, herds, flocks, everything that, that reminds us of, of the Hebrews. Get out of Dodge, get out of Egypt and never come back. God is victorious. He's the one true living God. He's the God of justice, the God who's left Egypt decimated. As the cries from every household is heard, the Israelites are leaving because their God has set them free. He's a God of justice, but he's also a God of mercy. As, as we had worship, Jamie mentioned, God is a God of mercy and a God of grace. And we see that as the Israelites. They had uh, the, the uh, uh, sacrifice that was, that was made and the blood was taken and put over those door frames. And that rescued them. It caused God to pass over their homes. Did they deserve God's wrath? Of course they did. They're all sinners. They deserve God's worst. But what did God do? God was merciful and passed over their homes because of the blood of that Passover lamb. It's interesting how the Israelites left Egypt, abused, mistreated, oppressed for 430 years, and they leave wealthy. God told them to ask the Egyptians for gold and silver and clothing, and guess what? Everything they asked for, they were given, and even more. And we've seen that happen time and time again. In fact, God said to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13 and 14, that this would happen. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. That's happened, right? 430 years in Egypt. And they will be afflicted, but I will bring judgment on the nation they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. This is, this is a promise God gave to Abraham. And Abraham's descendants, this great nation that come from Abraham is there. They're leaving after 430 years, but they're taking the loot with them. We see God's word, him being faithful to his word, and his word coming to fruition. Also, think about other things that, that have happened. God had said what happened. God promised Abraham certain things. Other things that he promised was he promised that the Israelites would become a great nation. Abraham, you're going to become a great nation. And in fact, why in the world is Pharaoh oppressing the Israelites? Do you remember? It's because their population had exploded. 
and they became too numerous. In fact, Exodus chapter 1, I'm going to flip over there really quickly. If you want to do that, you can do so. Exodus chapter 1, verse 9. And the Pharaoh said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. And this is a different Pharaoh than the one that Joseph knew. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh stores cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, what happened? The more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. And that's why they oppressed them, because this great population explosion. So the promise that God gave to Abraham, we call the Abrahamic covenant, we're seeing come to fruition here in Egypt. Another promise that God gave to Abraham was that through him all the nations will be blessed. We'll look in chapter 12, verse 38, as they're leaving Egypt. Who's leaving? Is it just the Israelites? No. Look at verse, look at verse 38. About 600,000 men on foot, women and children. Verse 38, a mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. What does it mean, a mixed multitude? Well, there were some Egyptians that left Egypt as well and went with the Israelites. Also, maybe some other, other peoples from other groups, other nations, other ethnicities that were slaves also, they leave as well. Undoubtedly, they had seen the power of God. They had trusted in uh, this God of the Israelites, and they wanted to go with the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, we know that this promise that through Abraham all the nations will be blessed, of course, ultimately that's fulfilled in Christ as uh, the descendant of Abraham who lived a righteous life and who died a, a terrible death for sinners. Christ's sacrifice, we know, ultimately makes it possible for, for all peoples from, from any and every ethnicity regardless of socioeconomic background. Because of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, all that, that trust in Christ can, can be part of God's kingdom. We see God's word come into fruition and God has broken Pharaoh and the Israelites have plundered Egypt. Verse 42, it says it was a night of watching of the Lord over his people. And now God wants the Hebrews to make a uh, somewhat of a monument to remember all the things that he's done. He wants them to, to, to do something that's going to help them remember what he has done for them. And we see this throughout the scripture. In the first Samuel chapter seven is one of those that come to mind because of some of the, the songs we sing. First Samuel chapter seven, verse five, Samuel, if you remember, Samuel was the prophet of God. And he was the, um, the last judge, the first prophet. And what's going on during Samuel's day is the Ark of the Covenant has been stolen, taken by the Philistines. And it is because of the dread of the Lord fell upon the Philistines, the Ark has been returned. And the people have yielded to God's prophet Samuel, and they want him to lead them. And so this is what he says. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah. And I will pray the Lord to you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, There, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. They're thinking, hey, they're all gathered in one spot. This is a great, this is a perfect time for us to attack. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord, God uh, for us. 
that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offerings, the Philistines drew near to attack, and guess what God does? The Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. What did God do? God came to their aid, as he did time and time again. And they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far below as Beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. And, and, and the, the, actually the, the literal name of Ebenezer, the, the stone of helping. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. So we see this happen. And this happened time and time and time again. God would have them set up a monument that helped them remember what he had done. So here the Lord had delivered them from the hand of the Philistines in a miraculous way. And they raise an Ebenezer to help them remember. And so what's happening now, God has routed Egypt Pharaoh's been defeated, but what God wants them to do is they wants them to remember what he has done. So the second thing we see in our text is looking back and remembering what God has done is imperative to walking with God, verses 43 and following. So we see this in their text, and, and these things have already been mentioned. It's somewhat redundant if you read through it. Like, well, I thought we already went through this whole deal with the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and we have, but, but, but there's a reason why... This is repeated. These are three traditions that God wanted the Israelites to start. You have family traditions in your home? I was talking to some folks. Um, we have a tradition. After church on Sunday, we eat a family meal together with my, my parents. It's kind of like a tradition. Some of you do the same. Yes, it's a tradition. It's a time that we, we may not see each other all week, but usually on Sundays we try to get together and we just eat together and, have, and spend a little time, family time together. Yes, it's wonderful traditions. We have some of those. But he wanted, God wanted the Israelites to start these traditions like monuments to help the Israelites remember what he had done for them. And the first one that is mentioned is the Passover. Well, we've already talked about that. God passed over the Israelites as they put the blood over their door, door frames. But that, that Passover meal is supposed to be something that is perpetual. From this point on, yeah, the Passover happened and they're leaving Egypt, but God's telling them, I want you to do this every year on the same night to help you remember what I've done for you. It's a prototype for all future Passover observances. And in chapter 12, we're, we're told, just by way of review, let's think about that. A lamb or a kid was to be chosen unblemished on the 10th day of the first month, the, the month of Abib. And then no, later in the Old Testament, it's going to be called the, the month of Nisan. It's the first month of the year. On the 10th day, uh, a lamb was to be chosen or a kid. And on the 14th day, that lamb and kid is, is to be slaughtered. It is to be prepared. It can't be boiled or eaten raw and it can't have any blood in it but it has to be roasted whole without a bone being broken. And it has to be eaten, all of it eaten in one night. If anything's left over, we don't, we don't have to go bags, doggy bags. Nope, we burn it all up. This is a, a, a sacrifice. It's a memorial to the Lord. And you're to eat this with your travel clothes. And every year, you're not fixing to be rescued again. They were rescued one time, but every year, what you're going to do, you're going to put your travel clothes on. Daddies. You're going to have your staff in your hand. You're going to eat it in haste 
with bitter herbs. And the bread you're going to eat is going to be unleavened bread because we had to leave in haste. No time for the leaven to, to help the bread rise. We don't have time for that. We've got to eat in haste. Let's go. We're being rescued tonight. So they would reenact this every year on the anniversary of the Passover. It was the Passover meal. It's a time of remembering. And we do this now, don't we? I mean, we have uh, anniversaries, don't we? We have wedding anniversaries, right? Turn to your spouse, if you're sitting by your spouse, and tell your spouse, men, when your, when your wedding anniversary is. Do that right now. I'm getting everybody in trouble. Uh, do you know? Yeah. Right. Sorry, guys. Y'all know when your anniversary is. Um, uh, we have anniversaries. We have day of remembering, don't we? And what we do on our anniversary, we usually try to, somebody watch the kids, and we try to have a date night. We try to. It don't always happen, right? But it's days of remembering. What about birthdays? Birthdays are days of remembering. I, I'll tell you a little bit of a, uh, a tradition our family has had since our kids are real little, and we don't do it as much anymore when they're real little. We had this tradition of uh, we have baby books of all our kids. Uh, baby books have been put together and pictures of our kids and what was going on in our lives when they were born. And our children, I know everybody's different, but our children never sleep, have never slept in our bed, like with few exceptions, like when they're sick, but, all, but on their birthdays, you know, the little ones, they could sleep with mom and dad. And what we would do is we'd take the baby book and we would look through it and then we would tell them how they were, were born, where they were born, and all the things that took place. Because each one of them, there's a story. And so they've really enjoyed that. And it's time we just kind of reflect and think back. Of, yeah, you remember when you were born. This is what happened when you were born, right? And so it's a time of remembering. And we do other things to help us remember. Scrapbooks. How many have a scrapbook, ladies? Anybody, any scrapbookers in here? One? Are you kidding me? Oh, Stacy, raise your daggum hand. Yeah, okay, we got a couple, got a couple in here. My mom, she does a scrapbook thing because what does that do? It helps us remember these things. You know, we, we take pictures. Why do we take pictures? Because we want to be able to remember. I mean, Phil Ramsey, that's how he makes a living because people can't remember. So he takes pictures so they can remember, right? <laughs> my wife loves pictures all the time. It gets on my nerves just a little bit, you know? But I tell her she'll want to take pictures. I'll look. You don't have to take a picture. I don't, I don't care about pictures. I was there, like our wedding day. Let's look at our pictures. Hey, I was there. I remember it. I don't need the pictures. I remember what it, that day vividly. But we do. We, we want something to bring to our remembrance things that have happened. And the Israelites were to keep these annual celebrations to remember back what God has done for them. But this Passover, look at verse 43 through 49. This is an exclusive but also an inclusive feast. And, and it, these instructions given here in verse 43 to 49 is for future Passovers. When you get into the promised land, when you settle in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, this is what you're to do. You're to celebrate these things. You Remember these events, what God has done for us. I mean, there's a mixed bag of folks who are leaving Egypt. Some of them are Jews, some of them are Gentile. And a distinction needs to be made. Who are the God followers and who are not? Those who were foreigners couldn't participate in the Passover. But if they wanted to, if they wanted to be the part of the people of God, what did they do? They submitted to the Lord. And they took the sign of the Abrahamic covenant and they were circumcised. 
And it says then they could participate. Didn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, you could participate. So it's exclusive, but it's also inclusive, right? The foreigner doesn't have to be excluded from this meal. If they want to participate, they, they can. Look at verse 49. One law is for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. There's one law. There's, it don't have to be a distinction. And that's the, the, the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. Right through, the, through Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. No, everyone could come. Everyone could come to the table. Everybody could be a part of God's kingdom. Everybody could be part of the people of God. You just have to yield to the Lord and trust his word. All can come to worship regardless of your ethnicity. That's what's wonderful about the church. What was true of the kingdom of God then is true now. We doesn't matter your race or ethnicity or the language you speak or your status in the world. I mean, many of us here, we're looking around and we don't have much in common. But the union we have in Christ, the faith we have in Christ, brings us together, right? Unifies us as a, the church. And on the anniversary of this first Passover, November, uh, Numbers chapter 9, verse 1 through 5, tells us that the Passover, it was at Mount Sinai. They're at Mount Sinai. They're not yet in the, in the promised land, but they're at Mount Sinai. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. That's where they received the Ten Commandments. We're going to get to that soon. In the first month of the second year, it's the first anniversary, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of the month, at twilight, remember, you chose the lamb on the 10th. You kept it for four days. And on the 14th day, that evening, according to its statutes and all its rules, you shall keep it. So Moses told the people of Israel and they sh that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover in the first month, the 14th day of the month, at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all the Lord commanded Moses. So the people of Israel did. So this Passover meal... It helped the Israelites remember what God had done by passing over them and smiting the firstborn of Egypt. The second monument they built, the second feast, the second tradition there to start is the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In chapter 13, verse 3 through 10, we see the instructions uh, given to us. It's reiterated from chapter 12. We've already read through this um, once. But notice the word remember and what these three feasts or rituals did is they, they helped them worship. They were all acts of worship. See, worship is always a response to what God has already done. Worship is a response to our recollecting all that God has done. Why do we worship? Because what God has done for us, right? As we recollect what God has done for us, what does it cause us to do? It stirs us and calls us to worship and to act so this week, uh, this, this Feast of Unleavened Bread, it took place during a week right following, immediately following the Passover. So Passover started, and the next six days, there was to be no leaven in the house. Remember, the leaven was what made the bread rise. We had some, uh, we ate some non-bread this, this, uh, this week. So the girls made that at home, and they had the bread out, and it had to, it was flat, you know, at first, and it had to rise. So after a few hours, it's, risen and then you could fry it uh, and eat it 
but for them, there was no leaven in the house. And he's like, well, where, where did the leaven go? They didn't just throw it away. Surely they had, they just put it somewhere. It was outside the house, but it couldn't be inside the house. You couldn't see it, couldn't use it. And so six days, they deprived themselves of leaven. And then on the seventh day, they had a feast and they ate together. Tony Merida, he's got a commentary I've, I've been reading through on Exodus. And he says, food has a natural way of bringing back memories. And I was thinking about that. And as a child, we would eat Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner with my maternal grandparents. And most of y'all know Miss Vi. I call her notes. She's my mom's mother. She passed away last April. But she would make dressing. So every Thanksgiving and Christmas, I would eat her dressing. And it was, it was a dry kind of dressing. It was different than my, my paternal grandmother's. It was really dry, and you had put a lot of giblet gravy on it. But I loved it because it had a lot of sage in it. I love it. And what was wonderful about my wife, she loves to cook. And when we were married, I would tell her about things that my mother or my grandmothers would make that I really liked. And so what my wife did is a very sweet thing, way to serve me is she would get my mother or my grandmother to show her how to make it. Which is a very loving thing to do. And so she makes dressing like my grandmother, like Notesy. But the thing about it is when I eat that dressing, you know what I do? It takes me back. Because I'm eating and I'm just thinking about Greenville, Mississippi. Thanksgiving's in Greenville or at my mom and dad's house and we're all together with Notesy and Papa, and we're, we're eating that dressing. It, it makes me remember. It takes me back. This feast that God commanded the Israelites to celebrate annually was to do the same, is to take them back, to remember all that God had done, how he rescued them from a life of bitter bondage from Pharaoh with a mighty strong hand. And like fasting, I don't, for, for those of you that fast, much like fasting helps us as we deprive our bodies of food, what does it do? It calls us to pray and draw near to the Lord, right? And that's what's happening here is they, this deprivation of leaven remind the Hebrews of what God had done for them. And it's interesting, and I started to tell Jake, Jake as he read this, to, as you're reading through this, what is repeated? What stands out in the text? And in chapter 13, there's four times, verse 3, 9, 14, and 16. It says that they were redeemed by who? By God's mighty strong hand. So there, you know, there's a reason why things are repeated. Just like you, if you, you tell your spouse or you tell your kids something over and over again, there's a reason because you want them to remember. You want them to know, well, God, make no mistake about it. You weren't rescued by Moses or Aaron or by Pharaoh being gracious in a weak moment. God did it. The Almighty God rescued you, delivered you, and don't forget it. Look at verse 9 of chapter 13, something else I want to point out. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand as an, and a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. That the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. That's interesting. I want to point that out. What does that mean, the law of the Lord will be in your mouth? It means that what God has done for us, the covenant he's made and how he's kept that covenant 
and taken such good care of us should be talked about often. It's something you should know well and think of often. And think about what do you talk about? Maybe you have coworkers you work with. What do you talk about? Well, you talk about things that are important to you, either your spouse or your kids, or really, once you have grandkids, you kind of forget about your kids. You just talk about your grandkids, right? If you have grandkids, that's, that's who you talk about with your coworkers, because that's, at, at the moment, that's really what's important. My parents would come to China. They came every, every Christmas. They would use all their vacation. They would come to China, and people would ask, why'd you, you that's so wonderful you come to see your kids. I said, uh-uh. I didn't think they'd come to us, my kids. If my kids were here, I wouldn't see, I'd wait, wait to see them when they come home. But my grandkids are here. So I'm going to come every year. I'm coming to see my grandkids, right? Because that's what's important to them. This meal reminded the Israelites that they were needy people, but God, the strong, mighty, all-powerful God, has rescued them. Not because they deserved it, but because God had chosen to love them and set them apart from the other nations. See, this feast, this the, the, the meal, the, the, the whole event, this week-long not having leaven and then the feast at the end, it's, it's, it's such a big deal. It should impact the rest of your lives. This week and these days should impact the rest of your calendar year. It's not just something we do and don't think about it. No, we talk about it. As we anticipate it, we talk about it. And then when it's over, we talk about it. It impacts our lives, and it should impact the Israelites' lives. So you have the Passover, and then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then thirdly, you have the consecration of the firstborn. And, and he mentions that, the Lord through Moses mentions that, chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, and then he comes back in verses 11 through 16, and he mentions that this ritual that was to be established among the people. And and what this ritual does, this consecration of the firstborn, it reminds the Hebrews of God's right to the ownership of the firstborn son. So he's claiming ownership of the firstborn, not just of their, their boys, but of all the animals, the flocks and the herds. And the, the, the families were required to present this firstborn to the Lord as his property. Now, did the Lord actually want to physically keep them? Well, no, with few exceptions. Samuel was one of them. God wanted him. And God used him for his purposes. But his desire is that the Israelites recognize his right to ownership of the first and the best, the firstborn son, the firstborn male. And that, that didn't matter if it was the spoils of war, harvest, you know, there's the feast, the first fruits, or their own offspring. So how does this tie into the Passover celebration? Well, think about it. The Lord killed the, the firstborn of Egypt, both man and beast, but he spared Israel's firstborn, both man and beast. How? By the blood of the Passover lamb. And therefore, by this blood redemption, the firstborn of Israel belonged to him and they must be devoted to him. I mean, they wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for the mercy of the Lord. And again, verse 11 tells us this takes place once they get to the promised land, right? This is forward-looking. This takes place when we get to the promised land. It's going to happen in the spring because that's when, what happens in the spring, you know? For those of you hunt, why do we have seasons? You have hunting seasons. Why don't we get to hunt in the spring? For most animals, that's when the birthing takes place, right? Yeah, you don't get to hunt then. The firstborn males 
of animals that they ate, oxen, lambs, goats, those were to be sacrificed. The firstborn males would be given to the Lord as a sacrifice. But what about, what about those animals like donkeys, right? It mentions that, doesn't it? They're unclean animals. They couldn't be given as a sacrifice. So what would happen? Well, they would need to be redeemed. The firstborn would be redeemed, but you would use a lamb. And then the, the, when it comes to firstborn son, of course, you wouldn't offer your son as a physical sacrifice, would you? No, the Canaanites did that. No, what would you do? Well, the scriptures tell us, Numbers 18, verse 15 through 17, God gives us instruction about that. Anything that opens the womb of all flesh, whether man or beast, which they offer to the Lord, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And the redemption price, at a month old you shall redeem them. You shall fix five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. This is temple tax. So he took five shekels. But the firstborn of a cow, the firstborn of sheep, the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. In other words, you give those over as a sacrifice. But of course, you can't sacrifice unclean animals. Or in case of a donkey, the donkey's not something you would eat because the sacrifice became not only a sacrifice, but a meal as well. And so what would you do with the donkey? You'd redeem it. You would offer up a lamb. Oh, this is for the Lord, right? But in order for me to keep it, what do I have to do? I have to pay the Lord for it. So I have to offer up a lamb. Or in a case of a, of, a, of a child, it would be five shekels of silver. But if you don't redeem that animal, guess what you have to do? You have to break its neck. You're like, well, that's kind of odd. Why would you break its neck? Well, you couldn't do what you normally would do with a knife, right, and slaughter it. Why? Because it's an unclean animal. You don't want anybody thinking that you're sacrificing unclean animals to the Lord. So you have to break its neck. Yeah. So with the birth of each firstborn male, there was a choice to be made. You either redeemed it or you killed it. Devote it to God or send it to his death because it belonged to the Lord. It was a reminder that Pharaoh, what did he choose for his firstborn? He chose death, didn't he? He chose death for all the Egyptian firstborn sons. But Israel, they chose devotion for theirs. So here we have these three rituals, these customs, these monuments, Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the consecration of the firstborn. These are things the Lord wanted them to establish and set up and traditions they wanted them to keep. Why? To help them remember what God had done. And we do those things. We do anniversaries, birthdays. I have a, a brother of mine, Bobby Owen. He calls me on November 25th of every year. See, on November 25th of 1990, we both repented and, and began following Christ. And so he calls me and says, happy spiritual birthday. He does it every year. And it's good for me. It's a good reminder. It's good for us to look back and remember what God has done. We, do, we, we celebrate Christmas. We love that time of year. But it's a time for us as a church. What do we do? We celebrate. We have Christmas Eve service, right? We make a big deal out of it because it's a big deal. Because why, what God had done for us. He sent his son. God became flesh. Emmanuel and dwelt among us. And Easter. Yes. Yeah, we celebrate it. Why? 
Because remind us of what Christ has done. He, he not only died on a cross and was buried, but he rose for our justification. It's a pretty big deal. and something we should remember, looking back, remembering. Communion. We take the Lord's Supper next Sunday. I'm sorry. Is it next Sunday? Yeah, thank you. Next Sunday, right? We, it's our first Sunday, and it's a really busy time. We do men's breakfast. But the most important thing we do is we take communion, the Lord's Supper. Because what do we do? It's a, it's a memorial meal. We remember. We stop. We stop our preaching. We stop our singing. And what do we do? We focus on Christ. We remember what Christ has done for us. We look back. Baptism is the same thing. What is baptism? Baptism is, 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 is someone's uh, profession of faith, public profession of faith. When someone's baptized, they're saying, this is what the Lord has done for me. Sometime in my past, maybe last week, maybe a month ago, maybe a year ago, God saved my soul. And so this is a memorial. It's like building up a monument to help us remember what God has done for us. And so these things are really, really good. We need to look back and remember what God has done. So God is establishing these traditions, wanting the, the Israelites to obey him in this because it's going to help them remember what he has done. It's imperative that we uh, also as believers on this side of the cross that we have memorials. We remember what God has done. That's the wonderful thing about being at church. And I could talk about that, but you're already here, right? It's like preaching to the choir. But it's important because what do we do is we, we come together and we hear the gospel. And sometimes you're like, man, I done heard that so many times. And you know what's so wonderful is I hear some of you sharing the gospel the same way I share the gospel. And there's a lot of right ways of doing it. But it's wonderful because you're learning. And you think, well, but it's, it's over and over repeated. It's, 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 I hear it all the time. It's the same thing, you know? I was in class, and the, the, probably the most brilliant um, scholar I've ever met, Dr. Tom Schreiner, I'm in his class, and at the end of class, he stops, and, and his class was right before chapel. And he says, hey, hey guys, how many of you are going to chapel today? And, you know, a few guys raised their hands. Some had to go to work. Some couldn't go, whatever. He says, I just want to ask you a question. Today we're going to chapel, and somebody's going to preach the word. Do you think I'm going to hear something today that I've never either heard or read? He's a world-renowned scholar. He's incredible. He's, I, I, his books lie on my shelves, you know. And we're like, probably not. He goes, no, probably not. I probably won't hear anything new. Or I won't hear anything that I haven't read already. He said, but you know, boys, he wouldn't say boys. He wasn't that kind of guy. He might say gentlemen. I need to go to chapel today because I need to hear the gospel because I need to be reminded of what God has done for me. Of course, all of us are. So what do we do? We all file out and go to chapel, right, <laughs> behind him. But it was so true. Yeah, we need to hear the gospel. Oh, I hear the gospel all the time. I didn't hear that. I need to hear something different. I need to hear something new. You don't come to church to hear something new. A lot of times you hear something new, it's probably, it could be a bad thing, right? Somebody coming up with something different and no one else has ever seen. That's probably that's a scary thing. No, we're, we're saved by the gospel. We remember what Christ has done for us. Yeah, hearing the gospel, it doesn't get old because of the change that has happened in our lives. We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. Lastly, last thing we're going to close up. We look back and remember, but we also look ahead and move forward. 
And this is what's happening as these parents of these Israelite children, are, they're told to explain these festivals to the children. What, what, what do we do when the children ask you? Yeah, when children ask you why are we doing this, you explain to them what, what's happened, right? We move forward That's by telling our children and educating our children in regard to what God has done. Life goes on and we move forward, but we do that with all that he's done for us in the past in mind. Look at verse 9 real quickly. Verse 9 of chapter 13. You shall, uh, it says, And it, it shall be to you as a sign on your hands, as, and, as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. He, he says these, these feasts, these rituals, these monuments you're setting up, these meals and feasts you're going to keep, they, they function as a reminder that's compared to a, a head and a hand reminder. Now, in first century Judaism, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees would actually put what's called a phylactery on their, around their head, and it was a box. And in the box, they would put the Shema, the Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it's a, a, a very important text for the Israelites. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Teach things to children. And you put them on your head, and they would put them, literally put them with these straps on their, their left arm as a reminder of the law. And they really misunderstood what God was saying. In fact, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, verse 5 and 6. He rebukes them for wanting to, he says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor and feast. He, he gets on to the Pharisees because they would wear these things to, to, as a show, to show that they're really godly. But they missed the point. It wasn't that God wanted them actually to wear a physical thing on their forehead or a thing on their arm to remind them of his law. So what is meant by this verse? In verses 9 and verse 16, the same thing is repeated. The point is that the sign is to be so pervasive in our experience that we carry it about us as if it's on our forehead, as if it's on our arm. We can't get away from it. It's, it's such impact, it impacted our lives that it's what we think about, it's what we talk about. We can't get away from it. It's everywhere. It's comprehensive in our lives. It impacts everything. Let me read for you real quickly. This, this is the text they would often put in those little boxes. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your, all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your houses and on your gates. And when you, the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of things you did not fill and cisterns you didn't dig and vineyards and olive trees you didn't plant. And when you are eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. So application, what do we do with this text? This is, like I said, it's kind of redundant. We've already seen these things mentioned, but here 
he, he gives specific commands. When you get into the promised land, when you settle there, these are things you're going to do because you don't need to forget what I've done for you. So by way of application, what do we do with this? Well, just what I, I think, just what I just said, talking to parents here, there's specific instructions, teach your children, parents, and we know this, can you ever teach your children enough? You really can't. And how many of us get this right completely? No one of us. If you've got older children, you have regret. I have younger children, I have regret. We need to spend more time teaching our children the things of God and, and teaching the scriptures. Having just, one of the things we can do is have devotions. During the, we were trying to figure out in our family because at night I go to bed. I'm just getting old. And I go to bed early. I want to go to bed. You know, nine o'clock is awesome. If I could go to bed at nine o'clock, I get up really, really early. I like to go to bed about nine. It doesn't happen very often, but what happens? I go to bed before everybody else, and so it's hard for us to have that time together. And if we do, you know, it's it's kind of a rush deal. It's like, hey, we're thinking about you know when we we sit together as as a family at dinner. Most days, if we're all home, we sit down at the table and we give thanks and we eat together and we don't get up until you ask and we, that's an event for us. Hey, we're going to start doing that at the dinner table. Hey, that's when we have our devotion, read some scripture, pray. Hey, what are you thankful for? We're going to do those things at dinner. But we need to teach our children. I mean, do, does your children, do they have hope that one day they'll sit before the Lord at their... Marriage Supper of the Lamb, as Revelation 19 teaches us. Yeah, we have that hope. Do our children, do we do that enough? We don't. If that's not a rebuke for you, then you're probably asleep because we all could have done better and could do better and can do better. So maybe today, application, is just repent of not teaching our kids to love God and love his word. And maybe you start, well, your children, they don't know the books of the Bible. Teach them the books of the Bible. You're like, well, I don't know the books of the Bible. Okay, repent. And learn the books of the Bible. And make the Bible really, really important in your house. Man, my kids get straight A's. They do this, they do that. They don't know the Bible. So what? They make straight A's, but they're ignorant when it comes to Scripture. They're they, they going to go to college on a scholarship and play ball. And then you're going to get out of college and get old and fat and wore out like the rest of us. So what if they don't know the Scriptures? We need to teach our kids the Bible. It's a wonderful thing. We've got people back there that's prepared and they're teaching your children, trying to reinforce what you've taught them. But you know the truth of the matter is they're not reinforced. A lot of them, they're not reinforced what you've taught them because you ain't taught them jack. You need to repent and, and, and confess your sin. And today, start teaching your children how to love God. We all can do better, me included. We've got to repent and do better. And if your children are grown, you say, man, I didn't do a very good job. We'll repent. And then start doing better. Start calling them every day. Text them what you've studied in the scriptures. There's so many ways to teach our children. Well, my kids don't want to hear it. Well, just send them a text. Pray for them. Encourage them. Send them a text. Call them and pray with them over the phone. Hey, buddy, I love you. I know you're, you got your only way to work. Let mama pray for you. Man, our children need to know that God is what life's all about. Some of you are you're going to bear your children, unfortunately. It don't matter if they made all A's or they had a good job or had a pretty house or pretty wife or blah, blah, blah. What's going to, what's going to matter is they love Jesus. That's all that's going to matter. 
how much do we apply the scripture? Well, I think the second thing we do, not just on top of us parents teaching our children the scriptures, and some of us are, and that's I, it's a negative, negative kind of note, but I think we need to hear that, parents. We, we can't do enough to teach our children the things of the Lord. We got Bible school, dead gummit. If you got a child that's that age and you don't have them in Bible school, why? I want to know why. I'm going to call you if they're not here. And you, and you might have a great reason. Doctor's appointments, can't go, got to go to daddy's house, got to go to mama's house. I get it. But why would you not have me? I'll come pick them up. Morgan and I, we'll come pick them up and we'll take them home. They're going to have people up here who's been preparing and they're going to teach your kids about the Lord, about the Bible. So please. Anyway, second thing we need to do is we need to remember well, church. This, this, the Israelites were told, remember well. We need to, on this side of the cross, remember well. How do we do that? Read the scriptures. It reminds us of what God has done for us. Read the scriptures. Read the scriptures. Second, is just be in corporate worship, preaching to the choir. You're here, right? But what, what is it? Well, I didn't hear anything new today. Well, most time you're not, but you're just reminded of, how, of the goodness of God. We're singing songs about the goodness of God and what he's done for us. If you're next week, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. You need to take the Lord's Supper. It's the best thing we do. It's better than any preaching you're going to hear. We just sit for the Lord. We got that cracker. We got the bread. We're being encouraged not to take it in an unworthy manner because you might die. You might get sick. And what we do? We sit for the Lord. And we don't have music playing. And all that. We just sit for the Lord. Quiet. Just spend some time. We're going to do that next week. So be here. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Be reminded. And the lastly, how do we, how do we remember well? Is we share the gospel, and one of the things we're about to do in the fall, we're going to equip. You know, our job as, as pastors, my job as a pastor, is to equip the saints to do the work. And so this fall, we're going to teach you how to share the gospel, share your story, and by sharing the gospel, what are you doing? You're reminded of how good God's been to you. I, I've said this a bunch of times. <laughs> Jeannie and I, we're overseas. We were having a terrible day. Just we call it a China Day. Having a China Day. It's terrible. And she would say to me, or I'd say to her, I got the kids. You just need to go. Don't come back until you share the gospel with somebody. You go out, somebody on the street, somebody you know, somebody you don't know, share the gospel. What do you do? You come back. Your circumstances haven't changed, but your perspectives change. Why? Because you're reminded of how good God's been to you. That's it. Let's um, worship him. Let's do this. Let's sing, um, let's sing that Jesus alive. Come on up here and let's sing this one more song. This is going to be our benediction. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you've never repented and you've never trusted Christ, repent and trust Christ today. The Israelites, they, um, the Israelites, they, um, they were rescued by God, by his strong hand, because the blood of the, the Passover lamb is over the door frames of their houses. And so for you, a question for you, I guess by way of application as well, is if you're, if you're sitting here, are you covered in the blood of Jesus? And if it's not, then you need to repent. I would love to talk to you about that. If you're not sure if you're, you've repented and trusted Christ, if you're not, you don't know if you're covered in the blood of Jesus, I would love to talk to you about that. If you want to talk about church, I know a lot of people have been visiting. We pray all the time, Lord, bring who you want here at Beaver. Our church isn't for everybody. We get it. Some people won't smoke and electric guitar. We don't have a lot of that. 
They want charismatic preaching. We don't have a lot of that. You know, want big church. We don't have that either. There's so many things we don't have, but for, but God is bringing people to our church and our churches. Lord, little by little is, is getting people on the bus, right? And then what we have to do is try to figure out how to get people in the right seats, right? But maybe you're, you're trying to figure out about church. You have questions about it. I would love to talk to you about that. We'll do lunch, dinner, breakfast. You can, we can have phone conversation. I'll tell you what our church, what we're vision of our church and what we're trying to do. But I'd love to talk to you about that. Won't you stand with us? I'm going to pray. And then we're going to um, we're going to sing this song. I like this song. It's a fun song. We'll sing it, and this will be our benediction. Let's pray for our people that are out. We've got a lot of people that are out on vacation. And uh, pray for a Bible school. And I want to pray for you. Father, we acknowledge your goodness. Thank you for your word. You give it to us, and it's for our encouragement. Lord, through uh, the study and reading of your word, the preaching of your word, we can know your will. And Father, it seems clear from our text today that you want us to remember what you have done for us. And I pray that you would help us as a church to remember well, that we would do that by sharing the gospel, by studying the scriptures. Father, I pray that you would help us to do that well. Father, for those of us who are parents, Lord, we're, we're all convicted today because we, we haven't done that as well as we should. Some of us have done a pretty good job, but most of us, we, we, we fall short, including me. And Father, we, we want our hearts broken because we want our children to understand the scriptures. We want them to know that following you is more important than anything in this world. I'm going to watch the Olympics today, Father, and I'm going to root on the Americans hoping they win gold, but if they win gold and they don't know you, it don't mean jack. It don't mean anything. Father, our purpose in life is to, to know you and to make you known. Father, give us a burden for our lost co-workers, family members, our neighbors. And Lord, may we love people well by sharing the good news of Jesus with them. And Father, as we, we have so many that's prepared and planned and, and going to be teaching children tomorrow, I just pray that you would help us as a church to get our neighbors and all the kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews to come, that they can be taught the Word of God. And I just pray that you would bless our efforts this Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And Lord, on Wednesday night, as we invite those parents back and we share the gospel with them, Father, we are asking that you would do a work and that you would save sinners. Father, you've been so good to us. Lord, give us grace to be good to you. Bless us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. Jesus is alive.
dancing in the darkness and let our soul break through the night. 